Hi friends, it's Katie Price and you are listening to the Everyday Grace podcast. So today the friend that I have um, to speak with you, his name is Dan and he is a friend of mine um, who was formerly homeless. So I'm really excited for you to hear his story and um, learn from him. But before we get there, um, I did want to kind of give a little refresher on what what we're doing in this podcast series, maybe if you haven't listened before. So um, this series is called You Can Sit With Us, and it is aimed at uh, making the church a more welcoming place for everyone. So in the past, the church has not been welcoming towards certain populations of people. Um, Just as an institution, I don't mean individuals because I think there's always individuals doing good in the church um, and being welcoming to all people, but the church as an institution hasn't always been welcoming to everyone. And so I'm interviewing people from backgrounds and walks of life that historically the institutional church has not been welcoming to. And so, um, you know, if you've listened to past episodes, we've had... um, uh, we've had a person from the LGBTQ community. Um, there's upcoming, there is going to be a divorced person. So, um, kind of people that, you know, historically haven't always been super welcome in the church or haven't been treated very welcomingly. (laughs) So, um, today Dan is going to be talking about his experience as a homeless person and how he was treated by the church. And, I think that a lot of us might think of the church as being um, a pretty welcoming place for homeless people. Um, There's a lot of churches that do, you know, food pantries and, you know, outreach. And I think there's a lot of churches that would say, there's a lot of people who say, who would say, well, my church, if a homeless person walked in, it'd be great. You know, like they'd be welcomed and everything would be fine. Um, But I think seeing it from the other side from, you know, through the lens of like what it's like to be a homeless person going to church um, and going to these ministries that are set up to serve homeless people, I think it might just be really valuable to see from from their perspective um, what it would be like. And so I think that that might help us a lot just just when we serve others and, and to know what they're going through. So Dan's story, I think, is really eye-opening and really valuable to those of us who have a heart for the homeless community and would like to serve them better and just be more welcoming to them in Jesus. So I'm really, really pumped for you to hear Dan's story because he takes us inside like what, what it's like to actually be homeless and experience that, and he does it really well. So... Um, without further ado, here is my conversation with Dan. I'm so excited that you are willing to chat with me today. Oh, of course. Yeah. So how's your day going? Pretty good. It's my day off so I can actually relax a little bit. You know, I've been putting in 50 to 60 hour weeks, so I'm I'm happy for today. (laughs) Love it. Oh my gosh. You work super hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So it must be nice to have a day off. Well, thanks for taking some of your time to chat with me. So um, I just want to jump right in. I would love for you to start by just telling us a, just an overview of your story. How um, how did you get to the point where, um, where you were experiencing homelessness? What were the causes of that? And um, just, yeah, just start wherever. Okay. Well, there's probably a couple of causes um, the major one being that my landlord decided he didn't want to pay his mortgage anymore while collecting my rent. And, um, so I had no place to go. 
after you know they foreclosed on the property but this was shortly after my first wife passed away and i was in a deep depression anyway and i was probably heading down that road anyway um because i wasn't really thinking about work or anything like that i was working but not always going in it just the depression wasn't in, i wasn't in a good place so i was probably heading that way anyway and um i didn't have much social support from friends because I had moved back from California and I didn't have much support from family um, because at that time I had burned some bridges. So that's, that stuck me into being living on the streets for, Oh, not quite two years. So. Okay. So when you were, when you say living on the streets, do you mean um, that you were going to shelters? Were you um, kind of, uh, just act, like actually on the street, like sleeping in your car, like what kind of described to me what was going well, I on? I went to a shelter at first because I didn't know what else to do. And um, I ended up at two different shelters and decided at the, some point that neither one was for me and ended up actually for most of the summer and the warmer months um, just sleeping on the street in parks in you know, wherever I could find that was necessarily out of the rain, but um, not in the shelter because the shelter community was not, um, was not where I needed to be. And I don't think people who haven't experienced it don't understand. They think that shelters are great things. And a lot of times they are mismanaged. A lot of times they force, um, religion essentially down your throat rather than have you experienced the gospel um they force it and that's not going to do anybody any good you know mm. say more about that um tell me more about shelters and because you said if we haven't experienced it we we don't know what right. goes on and i think that's that's completely right so um tell us more about that okay um we had one of the shelters that I was at was, um, it was Christian based and in order to eat there, if you were staying there, you had to show up for three different, um, services that day. You had your morning service, you had an afternoon, uh, Bible study, and then you had a evening hour-long service and by evening i'd be like at 4 35 o'clock so that you could eat at six whereas the public themselves because the shelter also fed the public and um the public didn't necessarily have to show up for that um but then they were spouting judgmental anti-group um gospel i guess and if you didn't agree with how they were portraying the gospel they would throw you out so you wouldn't be able to sleep there um telling me that my friend who happened to be gay couldn't stay there and couldn't eat there is the farthest thing from christian that i could believe um and then forcing Okay, you have to sit here. I don't care. Wouldn't care if um, 
they were while the meal was going on or something, or even after the meal made it optional to go. But you have to feed the person's stomach before you can even worry about feeding their soul. They're not going to listen if they're hungry. That sounds like Jesus. <laughs> it sounds like, you know, what he would do. Um, you know, feed people first and then preach to exactly. them. Exactly. And it's, there was a, a lot of those kind of things. A lot of, um, if you don't do what I say exactly how I say it, we'll just put you out. Well, so like, so, um, I've also heard that there are, uh, so I've experienced a period of, of not having a stable home either, but I was not in a shelter. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have heard from friends of mine and things that, um, there are things like people steal stuff. Um, people like there's the threat of, uh, being, you know, sexually assaulted in your sleep or something. Did you ever, were you ever fearful of those things? I wasn't necessarily, I mean, sexual assault, as a male, I wasn't necessarily worried about that. Um, I can see mm -hmm. where the females were, where the ladies were. I mean, the, of course, they had separate, the shelter was separated, but it doesn't mean, you know, during non-shelter hours or wherever. Um, I can see where that would be a very big worry. As far as my stuff being stolen, I owned a backpack with some clothes and my laptop and my wallet in it, and I slept with it. Mm -hmm. um, and if I was in the shelter, it was I padlocked it, and then I slept with my arm through one of the uh, one of the um, arms arms uh, straps, so that no one could walk away with it because it's ever. Mm -hmm. But you felt like that was a something that could happen. Though. Oh yeah, definitely. I didn't. Um, based on some of the things that had happened in the shelter, I didn't trust anybody or very few people there. I've also made some very great friends from that time in my life, but I didn't trust necessarily anybody until it was proven that they were trustworthy. You know, um, I had. I was I was put out because someone touched my bag and I laid into him and he pulled a knife on me in the shelter and they threw me out because I started saying, okay, if you're going to pull a knife on me, I'm not a violent person, but if you're going to assault me with a knife, I'm going to make sure you can't hurt me. Yeah, that's crazy. That, that's a problem, you know. That's a, that's a big problem. Um, yeah. So... <laughs> It's definitely, it's, I don't want to say it's pure anarchy in the shelters because there is structure, but I had a lot of opportunities that some of the other people there didn't. And therefore I can see where they're just hopeless and just day to day, you know, this is their existence. So their existence is okay. I'm just going to steal and lie and cheat to get what I need to survive. I can mm -hmm. see it. You know, it's not right. But. but it's like when you're desperate and you don't have any other options, exactly. I could definitely see options. why, how that would happen. Why. Oh, exactly. Um, so did being homeless affect your self-esteem and how you viewed yourself? How did you feel about the whole process and what you're going through? <clears throat> Yes, at first, when um, I didn't see a way out, um, I just thought I was a worthless human being. You know, I don't like, I'm one of the type of people who don't like taking anything from anybody. Mm 
You know, I don't take charity well. I don't take, you know, if um, my mom hands me 20 bucks for fixing her car or something, I don't like taking that from her because she's my mom. But I don't like, because then I feel like I owe something, mm -hmm. you know. And I had to live on charity. I had no choice. And I wasn't, that didn't sit well with me. Um, so, yeah, I lost some self-esteem. And then when I started making a plan to get out, um, as that day got closer and closer, the my self-esteem went up higher and higher. So, yeah, there was definitely a um, drop in self-esteem and an increase in depression and things like that. Okay. So I totally understand where that can come from, too. Yeah. So did you, um, when you were going through all this and you were, um, uh, dealing with, you know, you, you were going to these shelters and you were feeling like this is not where I want to be. And then you were, um, sleeping in parks and things. I know you said you had a lack of support, but did you, for the people that you did know and, and who might be willing to help, did you ever reach out for help to loved ones? If that's hard for you, I can see why, um, why that would be hard, but uh, did you did you ask anyone for help and and what did what was their response? Well, when I found out that you know I wasn't gonna have a place to stay, and I mean of course it was it was a foreclosure slash eviction because the bank owned mm -hmm. the property, um, and they didn't want tenants, so I called my my folks and um, as a last ditch because but effort and my mom was actually the one who dropped me off at the shelter mm. they but i mean i don't blame them they were both re they're both retired at the time and i mean they're still retired but um they're and don't have the money or the resources or honestly the room to have me stay mm -hmm. with them um and i didn't have a whole lot of friends in that's in i was living in michigan at the time i didn't have a whole lot of friends there that i had kept contact with um, cause I had just come back from California where I'd lived for, uh, several years. Mm -hmm. So, um, I didn't have much support system as far as friend wise. And I made more friends when I was homeless than I had, um, living mm -hmm. in Michigan. Um, after that. so I just didn't have the support. So talk to me about how you said, you said that, um, there were some people in the shelter who felt really hopeless and they felt like they didn't have any opportunities and you felt like you had a few more opportunities. Can you explain why that was? Honestly, I mean, uh, the fact of the matter is I'm privileged. I have education. I have the means to get more education. I have um, the means and the understanding of of a society to be able to go out there and not quote, I guess, look homeless. So to make opportunities happen, whereas some other people in the shelter or most of the other people in the shelter didn't have a high school diploma, much less any college. A lot of them were people of color. A lot of them were single moms. So they just didn't have the opportunities that I had with my privilege there. And I mean, I'm not going to say that it's a bad thing in my circumstance, but I wish everybody had those opportunities. Yeah, I can so. definitely see that. I could see how, you know, being a single white male 
it might be easier for you to, you know, you didn't have kids, you didn't have um, things kind of holding you back from being able to just go on interviews, go get a job, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Talk to me about like the, I've heard, you know, a lot of objections that people have, I think, to aiding the homeless. I've heard people talk about there's the culture of alcoholism and drug use. Did you find that that's true among your homeless friends or, or do you think that that's an unfounded thing that people think? I don't think there's necessarily any more or less alcoholism or drug use amongst the homeless population. I think it's more acceptable socially for someone who is working to be an alcoholic than someone who is homeless because then society isn't subsidizing their addiction. Mm. And I, I just percentage wise. Yeah. You know, there are people who drank, there are people who did drugs, but most of the people I saw were just trying to get by and just like any other middle-class people. Yeah, sure. I'm going to sit down and have a beer in the middle of a park in on a, on a Saturday afternoon. I don't see anything wrong with that, but if you get knocked down drunk, where are you going to go as a homeless person? You can't just stay in your house, but there's not, I don't think there's a huge increase percentage wise in Mm -hmm. the population. Yeah. And I think too, if you are in a hopeless place and you feel like everything stinks and you don't know what your future is going to hold, I mean, I can see why people would turn to substances as well. You know, I, I kind of don't blame them. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, if a person who was housed has a bad day at work, they can come home and have a beer or whatever. And nobody either, nobody knows about it or nobody cares. But the second somebody who has nothing, who's having not just a bad day, but maybe a bad year decides they want to have a drink Oh God, they're alcoholics. We can't support this. That's that's right. a problem. Um, and I think you hit it right on the head too when you said uh, that it's a lot more socially acceptable. Alcoholism is a lot more socially acceptable for somebody who is housed and working. Because I think you know, really, if somebody's addicted to something, no matter what, like it shouldn't be something that we that we don't care about, right? We we should help our friends and we should we should love our friends and be able oh, to you know, help them out of that. But it's definitely true that people have more of a critical eye, I think, towards people who either are on assistance or, you know, they are houseless or whatever, because they're so, they're so out in public as well. And so it's like everything that they do is out there. And I think people are definitely more critical of that. It's like, if, if, well, if my money is going to go to that, then I don't want them to spend it on X, Y, Z, you know, they want to control um yeah right when i saw it and i mean i have no problem i now having experienced it i'll give you know some change or a dollar or whatever to a homeless person i don't care what they spend it on they want to go get uh go get a, a can of beer fine but the giving is for me not for them i mean i'm glad it helps them out but I mean, it's kind of hard to explain, but it makes me feel better about myself to give, I guess. But I'm glad I could help somebody out. 
you know, I don't care what they do. With yeah, I understand that completely. I've kind of felt like, um, you know, I've, I've been in the car with people before who are professing Christians who, you know, try to follow Jesus, but the way that they act toward homeless people is a little jarring to me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we'll be in the car and we'll go somewhere and they'll see a homeless person and I'm like trying to find, you know, a dollar or something. And they're like, oh no, they're just going to spend on booze or drugs or something. And so my, you know, my view toward that has always been similar to yours. Kind of like, you know, it doesn't, it's not our job to worry about what they spend it on. It's our job to give and not count the cost and, and just be kind because that's the thing that I'm being called to do is just be kind. And then what they do with it is between them and God. So I agree with you. So did talk to me about the church during this time. Were you, so you had a negative experience with the shelters with relating to, Mm -hmm. um, to God and and the church. Did you, did that damage your um, relationship with God? Did you have a relationship with God during this time? Did their actions make you feel like you wanted to grow closer with God or run in the other direction? Or did you separate that from God or how? Talk to me about that. My relationship with God at that time, I've always had a a fairly strong growing up and a a strong relationship with God. But my relationship with God at that time was strained due to the loss of my wife. Um, I couldn't understand things. The why, the why, the why, the why. Once I got past that and got to recognizing again that he is always there, he is always for me, he's the one that, he's there. Out of all, everything in the world that changes, that is the one constant and that is, that is my, I guess my crutch, I guess, or my, the core of my belief, out of everything that changes, He's there. So once I got back to that point, um, which, you know, took some grieving on my part, my relationship was just as strong, if not stronger than it always has been with, with God. I just see things, you know, maybe part of his plan that I was homeless. I mean, some looking back, I can see some very, very good things that came from that experience setting me on a direction on a path that I would never would have thought I would have been on. Yeah. Uh, but during that time, maybe a little bit strained. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's normal. I think a lot of us would struggle. Yeah. if not all of us would struggle in that position, honestly. So, yeah. so, okay. So when you went to the shelters and those people were, um, kind of trying to preach the gospel in a way that didn't really sit right with you that that didn't really make you question anything or did it just kind of make you feel like man they're not they don't you know they're not doing it right my thought was my first thought was okay how do i because i'm not going to put up with that i don't agree with it i don't i wasn't going to be quiet about it because that's not my style I I mean I'm I'm not if I see an injustice I'm going to try and either fix or make the other people aware of that injustice. And I I was balancing between how do I do that and not lose my place to stay and eventually I decided that it was more important that the injustice get fixed than I have a place to stay. I'm already homeless, what's worse? You know. So I called uh, I called some of the shelters out on on some of their Christ- 
their quote Christian activities and they didn't like that very much and um, I don't want to say I was banned but I chose to leave rather than stay there because they weren't going mm -hmm. to change so they weren't going to I wasn't going to accept any of their charity um, because in return for their charity they they asked for a certain amount of work from you which I have no problem with that but I have a problem with donating my time to an organization that is going to be discriminatory. So did you so, go to leadership in the organization yes. and just say, Hey, you know, leadership preaching the gospel is great, but you're forcing people and, and that might drive them away. Or how did you go about it? I to the shelter director and got nowhere. And then, um, talked to, the ex the first executive the vice president was on top of him was his boss talked to him and got nowhere and then couldn't get a hold of the actual ceo pastor person who who ran the nonprofit um they would either just brush me off or not return any uh calls or letters or anything i said and so i brought the, several times i brought it up through through up to mid-level and got no response mm. at that point it's like they don't want to hear what i have to say and they're not going to change uh, can i ask what organization it was if that's okay that, so. yeah certainly it was kalamazoo gospel mission actually is the nonprofit. it's not associated with any large okay. um nationwide at all um and then the other shelter I stayed in was called Haven of Rest in uh, Battle Creek, Michigan. And they were actually better, not great, but better. Um, but uh, they, I wasn't there long enough at the Haven to say anything. I was only there for a month or not even a month. Gotcha. Yeah, I was, I was just wondering, because uh, when you were saying all this, I was wondering if it was something like a national... Um, organization that we would know, but it's, it, I think that a lot of the things that you've said, though, are they, that they also have that yeah. in common with other shelters that would be, you know, more well known. So I think it's important that people understand that this stuff, this stuff does happen. And I think, you know, I've heard the same from other friends who who have been in your position um, that you know the same kind of things happen. And I think that the general public is pretty unaware of it. Yes, I definitely think the general public is unaware. Um, and, you know, quite honestly, this is, it is something that if you're going to be called to serve, if you're going to say you have an organization that helps the homeless, don't discriminate on who's more homeless or who's more worthy of help. Just help feed the people, you know, Jesus didn't mm -hmm. say feed the people except for this group or feed the people and but make them listen to me first yeah jesus just said feed the people yeah we'll do it that's really good you know feed my sheep um so did you were you going to um like an actual church while you were experiencing homelessness like separately from the shelter or was that not part of your life while you were going through that when i first started when i was first homeless I didn't, 
but I did find uh, a church um, within, you know, walking distance of of where I was uh, sleeping or of the shelter. Actually, it was about halfway in between the park and the shelter. So um, that I actually enjoyed their services. I enjoyed what they had to say. Because I, I, I was church shopping while I was while I was uh, homeless. You know, I, I, I wanted that um, fellowship. I, I do enjoy that fellowship. And a lot of the churches didn't sit right with me, but I did find one that was much, that was more liberal and more accepting. And um, it worked out really well. And I was a member of that church for, God. Okay. Until I moved to Grand Rapids. So, so um, um, you ta- you said years. that in the beginning of yeah. being homeless, you didn't go to church. Was there a reason for that? And, you know, kind of what didn't sit right at the churches that you tried and didn't stay at? Well, yeah, mostly it was, I had a church where I was living, but that was, you know, 70 miles mm-hmm. from the nearest shelter. So obviously I wasn't attending services there. Um, and the shelters themselves put mm-hmm. on services that were mandatory, but I was getting nothing out of those because number one, they're mandatory. And number two, they screened, essentially screened a lot of the volunteers for what they were saying in their services. You know, they wanted to Mm. put their version of the gospel, not the version of the gospel. And um, so I wanted to get, I guess, real church as opposed to um, the tainted version that they were spouting, even though I was, I had to go to that to stay there until I decided not to stay at the shelter anymore. I had to listen to that. Okay. So I wanted something to balance that out. You know? So um, um, and, how, let's, yeah. let's look at big picture too. Cause I want to talk about like, not just your experience, but also how the church views homelessness in general. So how do you think the church and Christians view homelessness and maybe mm-hmm. even view you as a, as a former homeless person or like, how did you feel like they felt about you? or viewed you while you were going through this? Do you feel like it was positive or negative? Do you think there's a difference um, in the way that they view homeless individuals than other people? Talk to me a little bit about that. Um, It's tough to say for nationwide or on big picture. Big, Big picture in my area, unfortunately, that part of the country oh man <laughs> fairly prosperity gospel driven so oh you're homeless you must have done something oh. wrong or you're homeless you're not one of the favorite of the lord and in, instead of there being a lot of compassion mm. which there should be there was a lot more pity mm. The last thing I needed was to be pitied, you know, and um, there were a lot of volunteers, you know, to serve meals and to run, you know, certain things because at the shelters because, you know, everyone's understaffed and whatever. But it seemed to me the volunteers were more interested in looking like Christians showing, hey, look at me, I'm going to the homeless shelter to volunteer, rather than actually being, having the service in their hearts 
They were more of, okay, I'm doing this. I'm a better Christian than you are kind Mm. of thing. And they wouldn't even look any of us in the face. It was just like, here's your food or a cursory handshake. Like they pitied me, not even looking at me. And I'll be honest, the last thing I needed was, was food. I could have eaten five, six meals a day in that area based on churches, based on day shelters. It's how I survived without actually going to the shelter. And I had a food stamp card. What I needed was someone to treat me like a human being, not like some subhuman thing to be pitied, Mm -hmm. you know? It's funny that people don't notice the homeless unless the homeless are in their way. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, you don't notice if you're sitting, if, if I'm sitting, you know, in a, in a stoop, no one's going to look at me. No one's going to say hi to me. No one's going to make eye contact with me until I'm panhandling or a look at that guy. He's drinking a beer in the park or sitting there smoking. Where do you get money for his cigarettes? You know, until I do something that somebody doesn't agree with, just walk up, shake a man's hand and say hi. Mm. That's the best thing rather than, okay, here's some more food or because everybody gives food. Nobody thinks about socks. You know, everybody gives sandwiches and nobody thinks about gum or, you know, just stuff like that. Just the random things of everyday life. You know, yeah, I think that's really profound. I think that, um, yeah, there are a lot of things that kind of we take for granted. We don't think about that um, could be really useful. Um, and just as a practical suggestion, um, what would you suggest? So, if somebody wanted to keep, you know, Ziploc bags in their car with some items in them that would be really helpful if they see somebody. Um, what would be good to go in those bags? So you said like socks, um, maybe like deodorant or like wet wipes. Like what would be good to have? Wipes. Wipes, wipes would be amazing. Um, a little thing of deodorant would be good. It's not – if you have access to a shelter or something like that, it's not necessarily really hard to get a shower. It might, it might be a day before, you know, a day or two. You might not get one every single day, but two days at most, yeah, you can find a shower. The hard part is finding laundry, mm-hmm. you know. stuff Just the stuff everyone takes for granted. I've found that most homeless people who actually look and smell homeless, it isn't because they're not getting showers. It's because they got no place to wash their clothes, and then it's the only clothes they got, you know. Um, wipes would be good. Socks. Clean socks are always welcome. In the summertime, any kind of basic hygiene, like body powder, stuff like that. Just the things you don't think about. If you if you go through your daily life and just try and imagine something that you take for granted every day, you know, I mean, that kind of thing, little small things is what is needed the most because nobody remembers them. Nobody donates them. Um Hygiene products for the mm-hmm. ladies is a big one. Nobody donates those. Nobody thinks about it. If there, if it's uh, like a single mom, just stuff to occupy mm-hmm. their kids. You know, little dollar store puzzles and toys and, you know, something just to keep them occupied. So they can take that five-minute break from their kids because they're with their kids all the time. You know, whereas house people can be like just... Go to your room for a minute. Mm-hmm. Mommy needs a break. Right. And when it you're, doesn't have when to. You're, 
when you're homeless, you can't just give the kid the iPad and say, go, you know, go play this game for a little bit. Mommy needs a break. Um, stuff to occupy time is big, you know. Um, the biggest thing, one of the best things I found was there was a lady who brought, she was uh, like a personal roaming library, and she brought in crates of books, and she said, take one, bring it back when you're done, or if you moved on and don't bring it back, it's fine. She bought them at garage sales and stuff. That was actually so much more welcome than just another yeah. person bringing out food. Something to occupy time because you don't realize how much time you have until you you're not working and don't have anything to do that day. I go to the library for hours and sit on my laptop and you know fill out job stuff, but you know just educate myself and learn new things because mm-hmm. I had the time to do it. Yeah, and so, you can't. You know, I think. Yeah. Um, somebody been homeless you know they might be thinking oh well you should be spending your time on getting a job and you were but it's like you can't spend every minute of every day doing that because you know you still have you know there are going to be hours where businesses aren't open and you need something to do and I think books are amazing like that's that's such a good idea Um, and without a vehicle in that town anyway the buses don't run on I could get a free bus pass every so often but the buses don't run on Sunday oh yeah uh, they only run the day on Saturday. So, sure, I could be looking for jobs, but you give me an interview on Saturday, what if, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to make it. So Saturday and Sunday, I, I didn't do anything job-wise. Yeah. You know? And then there comes yeah. a point where you filled out applications for every job you're even remotely qualified for and most of the jobs that you're not qualified for. And then it's just yeah. a sit-and-wait time. You know, in a small town, I mean, the city was 150,000 before you count college students because there's three universities there, so it was a college town. So it's not, there's only a finite amount of jobs, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) or openings. So, I mean, once you've applied to them, you just keep checking and see, okay, I've already applied to that. I've applied to that. I've applied to that. Okay, here's a new one. Yeah. And I think too, you know, know, everybody needs and deserves, I think a little bit of downtime when they do something that's not work related, even, even somebody who doesn't have a job and is looking for work, everybody needs a a break from that and some rest and just time to sit down and read a book. I mean, I think that's kind of a basic, (laughs) basic Mm -hmm. human need. So I think that lady with the books, that's such a great idea. And I think um, hopefully the listeners will, you know, kind of take that into consideration about like things that they could do um, to help people out. So we've talked a little bit about um, your relationship with God and how, you know, these shelter organizations kind of were in opposition to that, but um, didn't really affect it. Uh, Has the church's reaction at large toward your homelessness been a good thing or a bad thing for your faith? So like, did you ever feel like once you weren't homeless anymore, did you feel like the church treated you differently or did you feel like more free about going to church? Well, I mean, the church I was going to while I was homeless was the same church I went to after I was housed. So they knew my story. And it was a good church because I, nothing changed. Awesome. But it was nothing changed in a good way. It wasn't, oh, you're homeless and now you're not. 
you're not homeless, welcome. You're homeless, I will tolerate you. No, it was just, you know, this is, you're you, and we want you here. So nothing really changed at that point, and um, it was a good good thing yeah. that nothing changed. That's awesome. So, um, yeah. Did you ever um, encounter anybody kind of in your, with, with your experience um, being homeless, did you ever encounter anyone who was, like, afraid to go to church because they were afraid that maybe their appearance or anything, like, something like that wouldn't sit right with the people who were there? Yeah. There's a lot of people, I don't know if they were afraid to go to church or didn't, just didn't want to, but would use that they don't have any church clothes as mm. an excuse not to. And there were some churches that were very, you show up in your Sunday best. And I can see where, where somebody would be uncomfortable if their Sunday best was the same as what they were wearing, you know, last week, one or in the streets. I can see that. I don't think there were any at the, at the church level. I don't think they would have discriminated against mm -hmm. those people coming in as a social level, as the church body, instead of the church leadership, I think the church body might've had a problem with that. Well, we don't want your, we don't want your kind here. This isn't a church for that. I don't think they would have spoken that outright but I don't think that that person would have been made welcome to gotcha. feel welcome. Okay. So um, on that note, kind of, so you are doing great now. You have a job, you're married again. Oh, yeah. That's so wonderful. Um, so now that you're on the other side of this, what is one thing that you wish people knew about being homeless that they just don't seem to understand? The biggest thing I can see is don't treat the homeless like their situation is their own mm. fault. It may be. It may be. But who are, number one, who are you to judge that? And number two, so what? They're still human beings. They're worthy of all the compassion and love that every other human being is yes. worthy of. Yeah, that is so good. So. And I think, too, with your story, just listening to the factors of how you ended up where you ended up, your landlord did something sketchy and you lost your wife. I mean, those things could happen to anyone. Um, you know, that's. Mm -hmm. Oh, I had yeah. a good job. I was I had a good job. I was working and, you know, making ends meet. But savings is only so much. And if you're you have two weeks to find a place to go and you don't have first month's last month's damage deposit. Yeah. Where are you going to go? You know? And you know, I think people, people listening might think, Oh, well, if I own my house, I'm good to go. But that's not true either. Cause there could be a fire. There could be a tornado. There could be, I mean, you don't know, you know, like mm -hmm. things happen and, um, and none of us are above this. None of us are, are, you know, completely protected from natural disaster and terrible things happening. And sometimes life just happens and you have to um, roll with it and do your best to, to, um, you know, handle, handle things as they come. But I definitely think um, if we, if we think that through, if we think, okay, this could happen to anyone, it could happen to me, then maybe it would, it would develop some empathy in us so that we can see other people going through that as just, you know, oh man, they're just like me, you know, I, I could end up in that situation too. 
So um, how, how can the church do better at welcoming folks who have struggled or currently struggle with homelessness, who are interested in God? Um, what can we do to make people feel welcome intentionally? Because you had mentioned that some churches maybe, you know, they wouldn't say out loud, oh, you're not welcome, but just their actions kind of make people feel not welcome. So how can we do better at intentionally welcoming people? That's a, that's a really tough one, honestly, because it's, I don't, again, I don't think it's a leadership church leadership saying from on high saying we don't welcome these people because I truly believe that most pastors, priests, whatever preachers do have at least some version of the true gospel at heart. And then there's some that don't, that are just the outliers. I believe that most people are good. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a sociological problem with the congregations. And that's a much deeper issue to fix than just, okay, this pastor is saying this. Now it's this congregation is saying this, which may force the pastor to change his views a little bit because this is his job. So how do we fix the sociological problem of the homeless being seen and unwelcome it's not just a church issue. Maybe it's a, as a whole, as a society, we need to welcome and understand that we are all brothers and sisters. As a church, just the church feeling more welcome, it's just changing that mindset. And let's, it might be one mind at a time that you change. You know, this could have happened to you. It's not necessarily their fault. And this person is still a human being. Um, look the homeless in the eye, shake their hand, treat them like right. people. And if you just change one mind, maybe it'll infect and change the others. There's no real good answer, no quick solution, quick fix for that to make a church feel more welcoming means we need to make society mm, feel more welcoming. That's good. So let me ask you this. If you, so let's say that you're at your church and having gone through what you've gone through, if someone walks in and they look homeless, you know, if, I don't know if there's even, there's probably not even a, a look, a homeless look, because everybody's different. But let's say that, you know, somebody who maybe stereotypically mm-hmm. looks homeless, um, right. and you're in that congregation, what would you do if somebody walked in and, I mean, they obviously don't know anyone, what would you do? First thing I would do, and I have done um, in situations like that, is just walk up to them, shake their hand, look them in the face, and say, hi, welcome, and just strike up a conversation. You know, learn a little bit about the person. Be genuinely interested in what's going on in their life. And if I do find out they're homeless or some, or on the verge of homeless, um, not only will I say, well, I will definitely pray for you, because that's something I can do. But I've also found that I've prayed for you mm. has just become a platitude for, well, not my problem, you know. But I'll ask, is there anything you need? And a lot of people are too proud to take any, anything. But if you, if you come across genuinely concerned, people will break down and say, okay, I need if it's not too much trouble, this is something I need. And I do the best I can to make that need happen. I can't necessarily fix 
okay, you don't have a house now, you have a house, but I can do something. Right. We can all do something little, you know, if yeah. maybe they need, um, hey, maybe they really need somebody to hang out with their kiddo for a few hours so that they can go on a job interview. I mean, you know, something like that. Or maybe they just need, hey, you know, uh, a big ask might be, um, hey, can I can I send you some, can I come over to your house and do my laundry? I mean, you were saying, you know, laundry was a big deal. Yeah. Yes, um, I've done that. I've picked people, thrown them to my house, did their laundry, gave them lunch, you know, mm-hmm. let them hang out for a little bit in the air conditioning because it's hot outside. And then when, by the time they, when they had to go back to wherever they yeah. needed to go to the shelter, I'd drop them back off, you know? I would, um, just for safety reasons, I would advise not saying, okay, here's a couch, but, um, cause you don't know the people, but that's just, if it were just me and not me and my wife, I don't have a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I would give up my couch, but that's a call everybody has to make on their own. And I'm not going to risk another person who yeah. doesn't have any call in that decision. So um i wouldn't i wouldn't give up at this point right now i just i can't for safety reasons say yeah here's a couch for the night you know um whereas before um that makes a lot of sense and i think you know i think people are maybe afraid to offer anything because they're afraid that then it'll turn into more than they want to um you know what i mean like more more than they're able to do but um just kind of what you said you know it doesn't have to turn into you take them in uh, forever, it can just be, Hey, do you need a place to do your laundry? Cause I can right. offer you my washer and dryer for, you know, an hour and then, you know, give, get you some lunch and then take you where you need to go. You know, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people could do that. Um, that could be a really practical thing that people could do, but I love what you said about, and that, Oh, go ahead. That would be huge. Laundry again is huge. We had one day shelter that had three washing machines wow. that you had to sign up for two weeks in advance. And they did homeless and um, low income laundry and they'd slot you for an hour. And if you missed your appointment, it was a month wow. before you got your laundry, you could get your laundry done. So yeah. laundry. Is and I, I love what you said about going up to someone at church and just, I mean, you know, if you notice or if you learn that they're homeless or just anywhere. It doesn't have to be at church, but just asking that question with genuine concern. Hey, is there anything that you need? Like, is there anything I can actually get for you? Um, I think that that's a huge practical suggestion that anybody can do. Mm-hmm. Also, in, in the middle of summer, a big thing you can do is um, just keep mm-hmm. some bottles of water in your car. And, you know, if someone's asking for change. If you give them 50 cents or something, fine. But give them a bottle of water. Um homeless tend to not take care of themselves as well as they should in that regard. Cause food you can get, yeah, you can get water on food stamp cards and stuff, but a lot of times you just don't think about it cause you're sitting in a park or sitting on a corner, you know, off an interstate or something and just don't think about it. So that's rather than see somebody fall out for dehydration and just sit there. Cause no one's going to care about the homeless person that's, you know, dying on the corner. Um, you know, a cheap bottle wow, of water that, is that definitely just, something. Um, that's something so small that people might not think about. But if you think about the effects of dehydration, that's just really – it just made me think about if you see someone in a park who's, like, 
asleep on a park bench or something. Now I'm going to think, oh my gosh, what if, you know, they might be dehydrated because I think a lot of people might think, oh, they're, you know, they're drugged out. They're, you know, passed out from drinking too much or something, but really it might be dehydration. I mean, they might be in need of, of water and that's such a simple thing that we don't think about, but that could really affect someone's health and really, I mean, we're all human. We all need basic, you know, water and food and wow. All right. So, um, thank you so much for chatting with me. Is there anything else that you want to tell people about this and, and just, do you have any other feedback for people who are just intentionally trying to be welcoming and loving toward homeless people? If you're intent, just keep it up. If you're if you're intentionally trying to be loving and caring and accepting, keep it up. It's a hard struggle, but making even just one homeless person feel like a person rather than a number or a non-person or just some scum who's sitting in a corner, you know, on a corner somewhere, who's less than make them feel like a person and their day is made smile at them. You don't even have to touch them. You know, if you don't, if you're not comfortable touching other people and shaking hands and stuff, just smile at them and say, hi, you know, that's all it takes. I, for a long time, I felt like a nine human because I was homeless because I was invisible until I was inconveniencing somebody. Don't, no person should be invisible. So that's that's the best I can say about that. Just, I mean, that's it's yeah. just living the gospel, you know. Be, you know, you know, love one another. You know, just be a human being that treats other human beings with the compassion and love that they are due. I love it. Thank you beings. so much. I appreciate it, there and I go. know that. You've said some really wonderful eye-opening things that I think people are going to chew on for a while, and that's wonderful. So thank you so much for being part of this project. I appreciate it so much. So um, I will uh, chat with you later, okay? Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye, Dan. Sounds good. Thank you.